Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Let me have a look at your iPhone. What media are you consuming Where do you get your information from? Plot out where they might stand politically or their point of view on a a spectrum and plot them where they might be. There's a great difference between information and understanding. That is writer, comedian and satirist Dan Illick. And this is episode 182 of the Osher Ginsberg podcast. And a big thank you to Toe Hider for my music that starts the show each and every week at T-O-E-H-I-D-E-R at Toe Hider is his name. Hello, this is the Osher Ginsberg podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg and I will be all episode. Uh, this is episode 182 of the show with Dan Illick. You can find him on Twitter at D-A-N-I-L-I-C. He's a fascinating human. It's his second time on the show. More about him in a moment. Uh, big Big thanks to everyone that's new. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for everybody that got in touch this week. Send osher email at gmail.com is my email address. Big thanks especially to everybody that sent through a podsy this week, P-O-D-S-I-E, just hashtag podsy. It is the photo you take with the phone you're listening to the show on. So right now, you're listening to the show on a phone, probably doing something. If you're driving, don't do it. But otherwise, whip out that phone, open that camera, take a photo of whatever you're looking at and email it to me. Send Osher email at gmail.com. Some great ones came in this week. I got people feeding chickens, which was great. Uh, People going on bike rides up mountains in Arizona. A lot of people doing dishes. I'm happy to help dishes across Australia get clean when I'm making the show. And more from Ermenegilde in in Bonn in, in Germany at the UN Climate Change Conference, which is super exciting. So, yeah, please, uh, if they're not too private, I tend to retweet them. So uh, bear in mind that if you do send them to me, I might share them around because some of them are pretty fantastic. But I I do get a 
I do enjoy uh, sharing them around and I do like that other people get a kick out of seeing other people that listen. Certainly hope your week was good. Uh, big thank you to everybody that did email or get in touch on Facebook after the last two episodes uh, with Dr. Mark Cross and Jack Heath. Of course, last week was Schizophrenia Awareness Week. And um, as you now know, I've been working with SANE Australia for a, a couple of months. I've been with them since about October, maybe September last year. And uh, a lot of people reached out, which was really nice, about the article that appeared in the Huffington Post this week about living with OCD and anxiety. Um, I'm glad they picked that headline. I didn't write the headline. They picked the headline. When you think of someone living with a mental illness, picture me in a nice tailored suit. But I'm guessing that's the, that's the ultimate message at the end. So uh, it seemed to resonate with a lot of people, which is nice. Uh, it isn't the full story. There's only so much you can say in 600 words, but I hope it went away to explaining a little bit of what I went through and what others might be going through in it. By the looks of things, it certainly opened up a few people's eyes to what life might be like, or you know, certainly a lot of people were grateful to hear that someone else is talking about it, that someone else is going, yeah, yeah, I'm on this and I'm on these meds and that's what's going on. This, this week's been a good one. It was a busy week. I spent the week working and adjusting to my new dosage. Um, I think I'm, I'm at... You know, everything's kind of settled down now. Uh, as you adjust dosages, sometimes your, your brain gets a bit depleted in some areas and overexcited in other areas. So you just do to kind of have to dig the nails in and hold on for a little while. Uh, it was a bit tough because there were a few days when I was working that were full of triggers, full of triggers. And that's when the old OCD kicks in and, a, and away we go. But I am coming to the acceptance more and more that now that, now that I'm out of danger and no longer in an acute state where I needed two kinds of antipsychotics, one in the morning and a different one at night. I needed two kinds of antipsychotics to feel anywhere near functioning. Uh, functioning is a long way from normal, by the way. Uh, but I'm, I'm not on those meds anymore because things have now settled down quite a bit. Um, I'm a much more stable place. The externalities around my life are very different now. I'm, in a, I'm married. I'm in a stable relationship. I've got a stable job. You know, these sort of things go a long way to help. But now that things have settled down a lot, I am kind of realizing more and more that if I want to live a life that does have ups and downs and I do and does have nuances a bit more, I have to accept that the OCD will be there. It's not, you know, I can't have one without the other. I'm, I'm getting to understand. I'm not saying that everyone's like this. I'm just saying in my own experience, I'm able to observe the OCD more and more, which is nice, but it is there. But at this point, it is worth it because I get to feel tingles up the back of my neck when my wife kisses me. And that's really nice because ultimately a lot of the effects of the meds that I'm on, they tend to just turn the volume down on everything. They can't selectively turn the volume down on things. So everything gets blunted. And that includes, you know, the, the tingles on the back of your neck when someone you love kisses you. So right now that's happening, which is nice. Um, and for now I'll deal with the looping thoughts because they're annoying, but they're not overwhelming. Kind of like a neighbor that won't turn the music down. If you get annoyed by it, it'll drive you up the wall. If you just observe it, it can just be there until eventually your neighbor gets tired and goes to sleep. But lucky for me, the looping is mostly just song lyrics at the moment. <laughs> And thankfully, it's a perfect loop. It's like a never-ending two-bar loop of whatever song happens to pop in there. And I'll, 
it, it used to be, uh, you know, four second long looping messages of Armageddon that, you know, the world is ending today. Um, and, uh, you know, that was pretty difficult to deal with. <laughs> but it's just pop music for now, uh, which is all right. And thankfully, Gigi, um, who uh, she's 13 and we listen to a lot of music when we drive around, I'm sure, as you do if you've got teenagers. Thank she's got good taste in music, thankfully, so it's not so bad. Except for when she listens to Pitbull. That's when things get bad. But enough about that. <laughs> A big thanks to everybody that's new and supported the show on Patreon this week. Thank you so, so much. Uh, Patreon's a way that you can support the show because podcasts are free to listen to, but they are not free to make. This show only exists because I have two people in my life, my audio producer, Andy Ma, and my production coordinator, Haley Van Spagna, and I need to pay them for their work. And uh, it, I'm only paying them out of the money that people from Patreon are able to contribute. And because of that, I am grateful Grateful, grateful that I get to bring the show to you each and every week. And there's been a few people that kicked in some extra bucks this week. So big, big thank you to you. If you're considering supporting the show, if the show brings you anything, any kind of value during the week, if you look forward to the show, if you find yourself that you get value out of the show, if it's worth $1.25 an episode a month, uh, I'd really appreciate that. It's about the cost of a fancy cup of coffee once a month or half a smoothie if you live in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. Um you get access to exclusive episodes that are made just for you. Nobody else hears them. They're just for you. And you can go on, uh, you can go and support the show at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Osher, O-S-H-E-R. And a big, big thank you to you for helping out because this show is your show because you made it. Let me tell you about my guest today. Dan Illick is on Twitter at D-A-N-I-L-I-C. Dan Illick is a writer, director, comedian, and satirist from Australia, and he's currently executive producer at Fusion, the network over there in the USA. He's done a heap of work in Australia, notably Our Rational Fear. Uh, all that stuff's still on YouTube, but it's very, very clever. And, of course, a lot of work on the ABC and SBS in Australia. He's worked in the US as well for Al Jazeera. He's a very smart, very funny man. And he's uh, forging his way forth in an exciting new world of digital broadcasting. He's a very clever human being. And I'm really grateful to get him on the show this week uh, because he's a returning guest. I've had him on the show before. If you're interested in his background, check out uh, early episodes of this program, I think somewhere around 2013. He, uh, he came on the show when he first visited the house. So pop back then and have a listen to his background. Dan and I spoke via Skype while he was in Canada sorting out some visa issues, which we get into as we go along. And I do have to tell you, he'll talk about the bathrobe. It really did look like the best bathrobe in the world. So I might have to go see to that hotel. If you like what you hear, make sure you follow him on Twitter at D-A-N-I-L-I-C. Let him know that you heard him here. He's a very smart, very funny man. And I'm really grateful that I could get him on, particularly this week, because there's a lot going on in the world and it really helps to be able to have a bit of a laugh and a you know, a bit of a poke in the eye as you uh, laugh at the way the world is working at the moment. Um, yeah, Dan's a really interesting cat and he sheds a lot of light on a lot of things that are looking a little murky lately. So I'm grateful he could be on the show today. Come to my office in Bronte where I'm sitting right now and uh, get connected on a Skype call to the other side of the planet with the extraordinarily smart and very funny Dan Illick. Hello, Dan. Hi, how are you, Usher? 
I'm good. Where do we find you in the world? I'm currently sitting in a hotel room in Vancouver. Right. That is in British, in British Columbia, so you're in Canada, so you've fled America already. <laughs> That's right. I, I literally have been kicked out by the government, but not, <laughs> not, not for any spurious reason, but for the reason that I, my company has merged with another company, so I need to change my visa over. So I, I did have a goal moving to America that I would like to be deported for writing a joke. That hasn't happened yet. Yet. Uh, <laughs> so, but the, comp- the company crossed. that you work for, this is Fusion, the company you work for? Yeah, Fusion is the company I work for, and I will be working for Gizmodo as soon as I land back in America. Wow, that's exciting! Yeah, Fusion Fusion bought Gizmodo, and then there's they've done a lot of restructuring. So now I'm uh, part of a bigger, much bigger company now. Wow, so much has happened since we spoke last time, um, and there's so much to talk about. But let me just ask you straight up: What is it like living in America under Trump? <laughs> it's actually a lot less scary than I thought it would be a couple of months ago. I, I think, uh, I think, like a lot of other comedians, we've become accustomed to the constant change and the constant barrage of information from Donald Trump and and his and his wonderful people. His people are so entertaining that we can't actually keep up with our jobs. That's that's how. That's how uh, that's how it is at the moment. So it's actually it's good because there's there is a lot of material and people joke about you know oh there's so much material but that's actually a really bad thing because you, by the time you craft an idea around one idea something else comes down the pipe that knocks the zeitgeist off course and you have to drop everything to capture that conversation. So it's a little tricky in that respect. So. I, uh, I'm working on a strategy moving forward about how me and my team might be able to craft things in a more slow cook kind of fashion. Um, so we're going to be, I guess, rather than chasing the day-to-day news, which can be really relentless, I think we're going to take one idea and try and craft it well um, per, per week because, it, because currently it's just with such a small team, it's actually so hard to make... Uh, to catch up with the news every day because the news is so frenetic. Do you think that is a part of his and his team's game plan? There is a lot of talk about gaslighting. This is the term that often gets bandied about, you know, by saying one thing and then saying another, then going back on that same thing. But I honestly don't think it's intentional. I think it's just completely... They're complete, they're complete idiots. They don't know exactly what they're doing and they don't have a handle on the situation. So while, it, while, while deep thinkers in our culture will say, oh, Donald Trump's gaslighting America. No, Donald Trump is a 12-year-old who's trying to drive a Mack truck and he, and he can't, he doesn't know actually, his feet can't reach the pedals. That's what's happening. So can, can you just, can you, sorry, just to, just to backtrack for just one second, um, we have heard a lot about gaslighting. Can you kind of go a little more to explain what gaslighting is and then maybe give us an example that has happened in the news? Uh, yeah, gaslighting is, uh, is a term. I don't know where the – I can't remember where the original term came from. I think it comes it's from, from a film. Right. And so the, the idea about gaslighting is that uh, uh, everything that you hold, everything that you, you may assume to be true is slowly disregarded as untrue and then what we're seeing a lot with the this this 
this administration is that they they actually go back on those untruths and try to prove them as true again when it serves them correctly. So this week is a really wonderful example of gaslighting to extreme, uh, extreme uh, to extreme, pretty much. So all last year we were, t- we were hearing about. Uh, the FBI director James Comey and uh, and the good work he was doing with Hillary's emails and exposing Hillary's emails and that he gets fired four days ago uh, and the reason that they gave was because he 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 messed up the investigation to Hillary's emails um, at the same time he's actually investigating them for uh, ties to Russia so it's so funny how it's so funny how they they serve any bit of information their own way, despite it actually not being true. And what I don't, it's really hard to kind of um, articulate because they do go back on it. They do go 360 on on their point of view so often. Um, But really, I don't think they have any grand plan other than what they are saying they're doing. So I honestly think that whenever they are, whenever they are actually, whenever the, the intent is there, Donald Trump will say the true intent and his team around him will try and um, plaster over it and try and give excuses and justifications for that intent. Uh, and so that that's the hypocrisy that we're dealing with at the moment. So that's why it's so hard to keep up with the news because every time you try and fact check something, um, it, it just blows up in your face. The unspoken idea behind gaslighting is is that I'm going to confuse you with the truth so much you won't know what is real and it's going to get to the point that you are just going to grab onto anything for a hope of getting a grasp on reality. So I'm going to keep spinning you in circles, spinning you in circles, spinning you in circles. So when I say something completely definitively, you'll go, oh, finally, I can believe that. But that might not be true, but that's the idea. And I don't think from this administration we'll ever be able to say that that's going to be true. So I think, in I think in the last three months he might have lost quite a bit of goodwill, particularly from the people that voted him in in the first place. So I think those people aren't aren't dumb. They're not as dumb as Donald Trump. And I think people who might have voted Donald Trump in are kind of looking at him now, going, "Oh boy, uh, you're an idiot." <laughs> now it's it's one thing to like I, I have a regular poker game on a Wednesday night, Dan, and and there was almost a stand up fight. Um, between a couple of the guys who refused to believe that the president of the U.S. could just grab the, the, the nuclear football off the military guy standing next to him and push a button and start a war. Um, but that's exactly what can happen. So it's one thing to say, ah, oh, the guy's an idiot, but it's also terrifying. Oh, no, it is. It is terrifying. And this is the reason why billionaires are buying real estate in New Zealand, uh, because they want to uh, have a great place to escape to in case shit gets real. We'll talk about that in a moment, because I do want to talk about the idea of the elite classes um, isolating themselves from political uh, shitstorms that they've they've helped create. Um, this is going to be a big conversation, Osher. I, I can't believe I should have done some research. I should have done some study. <laughs> Piffle, then. Let's go back to, now we've talked about what gaslighting is, let's go back to, you know, how you can do your job, which is a political satirist. Is it, because you can't, I mean, I'm even worried about now when I put this episode out. I mean, even if I put this episode out tomorrow, I'm afraid that something bigger and scarier will have already happened. Oh well, and that and that's um, one of the pitfalls of being a broadcaster and a media creator because you can't keep up with it all the time. So one thing that you may have noticed um, 
is that many of the people who create podcasts on this particular topic, the, the pro podcasters on political commentary in America, they have a great uh, caveat at the top of their shows. They will now say stuff like, this was recorded at 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 5:45 on Thursday the 11th of of May uh, Pacific Standard Time something may have changed by the time we publish this but here's what here's what we know now and i think that's a really nice little tool for the audience to go uh-huh let me let me get as much context as i can right now and clearly things might have changed um, but you know that that's this is this is where we are right now and i think that's that's a nice signpost and and i think so slowly the media are, uh, media are kind of f- figuring out these tools for themselves to work out how to convey to the audience the right kind of context and the right timing for that context as well. What does that do, though, to a democracy that has traditionally been held accountable by journalists and by the news media when they are doing things so rapidly that by, time the six, by the time the six o'clock bulletin has gone to air, it's old information? Well, the Six O'Clock Bulletin is a very uh, anachronistic idea uh, for people gathering their news. People don't get their news that way anymore. People get their news from their mobile phones. And so uh, by the time the Six O'Clock Bulletin comes around, they've already caught up with what's happening to news and they're already doing other things. So it's, it's one of those things where... The fact checkers go to work. They figure out what's true and what's not. Um, and then you have uh, other sets of journalists who are work who are churning churning on those fast-paced stories, trying to figure out the truth from fiction. And then you have another level of journalism who another level of journalist who is going to be looking at big picture analysis. And then you have another layer of journalists who a uh, much smaller layer of journalists who will be looking at things long term and looking at things in a much more investigative way and i think you know there could be a lot of panic about uh about oh no journalism's dead blah 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 but i don't think it is i think right now there's probably still some there probably is and there definitely is some really great journalism happening uh but it's not happening at the pace that you might like it to happen to catch up with the news you just have to wait a few more days for those people to do their jobs to cultivate their sources to get to get the stories right and that's and that's what's happening and we can see what's happening right now is this whole russia stuff is unfolding slowly so that's kind of exciting but it it makes you know, for, for my job, when I'm trying to decide what resources I employ with my small team, I kind of have to, I have to kind of pick and choose what stories we do because I don't want to do something that's really hot now um, but, will, will, like you say, will be completely different tomorrow because it's not kind of going to work. So I need to look at an issue on a much broader, at a much broader scale. So I haven't kind of thought of too much about James Comey's firing because I've had to deal with my visa and stuff like that. But um, if I did, it, it would be something, it would be like comedy adjacent to, to the story, not the actual story. So I'd take, I'll take the jokes of everything that's kind of happened and build it into a larger idea. So it might be, um, it might be like a, a recruitment ad for the FBI position and it'll be like done in a Russian voice, you know, like, hey, come work for FBI, it's very good, you know, wh- whatever that might be. Um, so while it, it can address the story, it, it also has a timeliness that can roll a week or two. I guess if you were, uh, you know, if you were a media strategist for a politician right now, 
you'd be learning a lot about what it is to rather than you know keep uh, your one great message for the the big Sunday night sixty minutes um, or the Sunday morning talking head uh, political long show. You'd be learning a lot about okay, how can we sneak the really unpopular thing in on a Thursday afternoon? <laughs> I know we'll just create we'll just light fires every day uh, <laughs> and then by the time the unpopular thing turns up at Thursday afternoon, all the other fires people realize that was all just smoke, and no one knows what to believe. Uh, certainly, I think there was a great uh, quote from, I believe it was uh, Tony Blair's office. Alistair Campbell sent an email around Tony Blair's office on the the week of September 11, saying, "If you want to get something out now, now's a good time." <laughs> you know, if you <laughs> so so you know that's a that's a a very prominent example of where media spin doctors are you know are renowned for doing those kinds of things. But I yeah. honestly don't honestly don't think in the case of this administration in the US on this federal level that much will get passed um, because it it has to go through so much scrutiny um, and it, it, healthcare is a really good example of where that bill was turned over and over and turned over and over again by media um, and it, even though it did kind of sl- get slipped through with a little slight little change at the end, um, you know, people did kind of still have a good handle on what was the effect of that bill going to be. And it's only gone through, of course, only go through the House now, it's still got to get through the Senate, and I think they're going to throw it out and want to rewrite it. But um, I think right now the big things are still going to be debated, and I think that's probably a good thing in this country still. Um, Where you will see uh, things get slipped by is probably on a state level, and a municipal level, so that's where that's where bad shit will kind of start happening. Um, so already, like in North Carolina, there's uh, there's anti um, trans trans bathroom bills kind of being thrown up, and then there's uh, religious freedom acts um, being being reintroduced in other states as well. So there's you know there's things like that that are kind of popping up state by state, and it re- would require those journalists in those locations on those in those cities to do the work like i can't do my job without them doing their job really i i'm just a i'm just a i'm just a fucking idiot osha i i don't know i don't i'm just like really relying i'm just like really relying on on gumshoe journalists in in small town america to be asking the right questions so by the time i see it i can call them up and go oh hey really like this story what's going on here can you fill me in so it's one of those things where <laughs> really the 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 journalism that needs to get done is really on a on a much more granular level like a, a a local and a state level and the big stuff will always be big and the big stuff will always be hard to get past but the, where the stuff will be slipping through will be at those smaller levels. So as as things are changing so fast, as a political satirist, as you said, who is managing a small team, does that mean that when you go to make on your on your schedule, which is uh, one or two pieces a week, you're instead of making a gag about this one particular thing that happened, it would be safer for you to because these things sometimes take days to put together. It'd be safer for you to. Um, make a gag about three or four things that happened in the same vein and like, oh, they're doing this thing again? Yeah, that that could be good. Also, the way I kind of look at it is uh, 
So there's, I mean, you know this. There's like there's this great Venn diagram. You can either make things fast, cheap, or fast and good and good and cheap. But you can never have fast, good, and cheap. So <laughs> any time an idea comes up, I look at my chart and I go, ah, oh, is this Venn diagram, is this going to be the intersection of fast and cheap or good and cheap or fast and good? Like, Fast and good. Uh, Let me rule that last one out because fast and good in the world of a digital broadcaster doesn't exist. If I'm just making content for Facebook that can't be monetized, fast and good is not on the is not on the uh, is not on the equation because there are never buckets of money to turn something around that's fast and good. (laughs) So another way to say that might be uh, your comedy bit can be fast, good, or cheap. Pick two. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. Pick two. You got it. Um, and the last time, I mean, the th- I think the last time I made something that was fast and good was we were at the inauguration um, and the work was quite happy to foot the bill for me and my producer to go to the inauguration. And I dressed up as a Russian journalist and asked, asked um, Trump supporters at the inauguration what they felt about Vladimir Putin. And I just got some wonderful results. What would you like to say to Vladimir Putin? Thank you. Any allegations towards, towards Russia that may have been involved in uh, in getting the weak leaks out thank you i believe that most of those leaks were based on facts and very truthful so i'm happy they were leaked thank you for your support uh <laughs> maybe we can go horseback riding someday uh we love putin we do we love putin obama's a disgrace so yeah that was an expensive bit of content but it was also uh fast and good what was your uh, fake russian name Oh, I kind of. I think I just used my name because my name is Russian. It sounds Daniel. Russian, Danilo Ilich. So I think I just went with that. <laughs> yeah. It's Serbian. My name's Serbian, but you know, Trump supporters don't know. No, no, it doesn't sound American. That's what that's I'm right. Saying. Yeah, it's not Chad. Do you speak? Do you speak American in Serbia? Do I speak American in Serbia? No, I've, I have only been to Serbia once, and I really loved it. Just uh, the amount of barbecued meat I had was uh, extraordinary. <laughs> I, I can't wait. <laughs> I can't like wait a... to go back there. You'd hate it. You'd hate it. So, yeah, I've been told I've always wanted to go to Argentina, but Argentinian friends of mine go, you may want to eat before you get on the plane. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You won't find much. Unfo- unfortunately, unfortunately for you, mate, um, it's all meat and spirits in Serbia. So, yeah, it's, <laughs> well, it's a bad place for you. Like, it's a bad place for you. I get it. So, uh, Australians are consumed by what's going on in the American news space. And well, at least our media coverage reflects that. Now, sometimes I wonder, is it because what's happening in our day in Australia and the footage that we get in our day in Australia is never going to be as high stakes or as exciting as the footage and the news gathering they've got from their affiliates in America, so they just roll that tape instead? Are you saying that Australian news isn't as exciting? Is that what you're saying? Well, I'm get, I, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying, like, does a news director sit there and go, yeah, we've got the opposition leader opening a you know, a bank somewhere cutting a ribbon. But at the same time, we've got some car chase footage that happened next to a, a, a political rally in Omaha. Let's roll that. Uh, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't know why. I can't answer that because I, uh, I, I don't know why, uh, new, why, Australia, why American political news is so pre- prevalent in Australian broadcasts. Um, but... Because as, as someone who just does not watch television, I can't even I can't even attest. I can't remember the last time I sat down to watch the news in Australia, um, but it certainly is 
filling all of my feeds on social media through Facebook and Twitter and all, all those um, kind of feeds in a major way. And I, it's cool to see... I get excited being here because I know that Australians are kind of looking at the situation here and Australians are quite up to speed on what, what's happening here um, and or about as up to speed as anybody can be. And I think that's what's happening in this globalised world. Everybody knows what's happening all the time and it's such an important story because what we as Australians kind of rely on on a grander scheme is our security in the world is based upon America's military. And when, you know, we don't talk about that often, but that's kind of the reality of where we are. If you look at our place in Asia, we're kind of kind of given this um, air of security uh, in a major foreign policy kind of concept from America. We're part of the five eyes, which is uh, uh, Ozkanzukas, which is Australia, Canada, uh, New Zealand, UK, and the USA. And though that those five countries have a share of very special relationship in terms of security right across the globe. And it's one of those things where there is a reason why we go to Iraq to bomb ISIS, despite um, what all the protests in, in Sydney or Melbourne might, might happen. Um, or there's a reason why we go to the Iraq, go to the Iraq war, despite um, 200,000 people marching across the, the Sydney Harbour Bridge. It's because that relationship is too important for us to break in terms of security for our place in the world. So I think really like it's a big, it's a big statement to say that, but I honestly think that we rely so much on the U S um, for that security in the back of our heads um, that that's kind of why we're interested in, in what's going on there because they keep a lid on sh bad shit going down. When you say bad shit going down, are you talking about, uh, you know, the militarization of the South China Sea and that sort of thing? Uh, not, I mean, not necessarily, but it, South China Sea is a, is a kind of a, is a interesting, is an interesting thing on its own because at this moment, in terms of benign states, I feel like that maybe between the USA and China right now, they're kind of equal in terms of, I think, I think the USA is a much more malign state than China right now. And so I think that's, that's kind of a that's kind of a different situation, but certainly other countries invading other countries uh, is could be a big problem, uh, and and it's kind of nice to know that you know we've we've got backup, you know we've got we've got the big guy in our corner. Um, so it's just security on 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 on, mat, on a number of things, mainly uh, resources and uh, and defence and uh, and and capital. So that's kind of. It's kind of who we bank on a lot for all of our all of our security for our for our nation. But it seems so unfair that uh, this country that we have absolutely nothing to do with the democratic process of can dictate our our country's uh, movement forward politically. Yeah, that's and that's a really good point. And you saw. Uh, with Paul Keating, when he was Prime Minister, he made massive inroads into Asia uh, and Indonesia in particular to kind of strengthen our ties with Asia so that we wouldn't have to rely on the USA so much. And as each government comes in and out, that relationship between America and Australia kind of waxes and wanes, but it will always always remains extremely strong. Um, so that's it's kind of... an. It, it, that's kind of why we're now more Asia focused than we have ever been before. And I think, I think it's a great thing we face towards Asia. Asia, aside from a couple of hotspots is relatively 
peaceful and prosperous. And it's it's nice to have friends like those. Relatively peaceful and prosperous. I mean, are you including the Philippines in that? <laughs> well, yeah, they they are. Uh, the Philippines are relatively peaceful, aside from Duterte, who's going through and wiping out all the poor people on drugs. It's not the rich people who are on drugs. I know rich people who do cocaine in the Philippines. Duterte's not going after them. He's going after the poor's. Is this, uh, do you see this as a, a more kind of uh, something indicative of, a, of, glo- of like the inequality that we hear so much about? What do you mean? That, you know, that everywhere around the world there is this and certainly like here in australia for example there was a budget passed the other day going if you want to be on centrelink you're going to have to uh do a drug test but you know my immediate thought for that is like well if you're going to drug test people for getting government money go and drug test the people that are asking for half a billion dollars to build a cold mine you know that's government money yeah um are you going to drug test them too you know it seems to be this constant uh scapegoating and, and othering of people who are from lower socioeconomic classes mm. and I, I think the one that really hurt me yesterday uh read about um you won't get access to the ndis the national disability um insurance scheme i think it's called um you won't get access to the ndis if your disability has been caused by drug or alcohol addiction and that is a policy made by someone who has absolutely no idea what addiction is and how completely um, blameless uh, and how completely indiscriminatory the disease of addiction can be. But it just seems to me someone like, if you could just stop being poor and doing drugs, that'd be great. Yeah. That sounds terrible. God. It is. It sounds bad. It sounds bad. Um, I've only been following the budget loosely and... Uh, and I haven't, I haven't been, um, I haven't been focused on Australian politics in a while. But there is, I think, inequality. Uh, I think probably inequality and environmental issues are the two major issues that we should be focusing on, but we're not. And I think that's kind of, um, uh, and that's spread right across the world in that regard. So inequality or equity is is a major is a major problem, and the the the, the gap between rich and poor is just phenomenal not in a split yes australia has its own equality problems but in other countries it is so bad in the united states it is incredible um i've lived in san francisco for a year and i've lived in la for a year and the homelessness you see in those two cities is just extraordinary and particularly in san francisco it's a place that i you know researched a lot of that homelessness um, for stories, and I've, I've spoken to homeless people in the street, and, and there are these amazing tales of camps being sprung up in um, in Palo Alto, in the heart of Silicon Valley, right next to Apple's headquarters, uh, a place called the Jungle in Palo Alto City, and it, it's a it's like a refugee camp for people who lost all their savings in the financial crisis, or may have been a software engineer for IBM. 30 years ago, but lost everything because they because they went to do a startup, but, you know, they stuffed up the startup. And so now they're kind of trying to fend for themselves on the street. And that's the kind of inequality that's happening in places that we think of as third world countries. There was a wonderful article um, that came out uh, last two weeks where it kind of said America is slowly divulging into two nations. Uh, one's a first world nation and then the, the others a third world nation, and in the in the you may you may be in the one country, but you're you you either stand in one of two nations, and 
that's quite evident when you walk around uh, Polk Street in San Francisco. San Francisco, Polk Street, it's renowned for um, huge amounts of homelessness, but also huge amounts of tech bros because that's the heart of the city where tech bros like to live and get and take their shiny buses down to Silicon Valley. I don't know if you, I don't know if you've ever heard of this issue. Um, Osh, they, they, Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. There is this there's this um thing called the Google Bus. Have you heard of this? This is quite extraordinary where um, where Silicon Valley people who normally work in the south of the Bay, they take rented buses from San Francisco because that's a nice place to live and they drive it down to Silicon Valley where they work and and they never have to kind of... Uh, kind of interact in their own city or work in their own city because they have these luxury coaches that they catch to and from work, which are about 20 miles apart. So it's, it's this, so they live in this really small condensed living space and the rents go through the roof. So people can't afford to live there. Uh, and, and so you have all these, all these people who, who have grown up in San Francisco in their entire lives and they get bussed out of their homes because the rents uh, the most expensive rents in the world, and they're on the street, and these tech bros come in with their six-figure jobs and, and push these guys out. Now, what you've got is a situation where uh, lower-income earners are now counted as six-figure earners. So if you earn like $110,000, that's counted as low income in San Francisco and makes you eligible for uh, subsidised housing. So that's it's it's like way out of control. Like You think... You think eating avocado on toast and you can't save up to buy a studio in Darlinghurst is a problem. Try being, try earning $150,000 a year and working for Facebook and living in the Castro. That's tough. That is hard work. <laughs> it's hard work to hop on your air-conditioned bus knowing that, sure, you'll get fed at work because that's where they want you to live and, and you'll get, you know, all, all your health care looked after and, and the chef from France that they imported over uh, to, to work at your uh, to work at your work is going to feed you four meals a day at work. But when you get home, you won't have any money left because you've spent it all on rent. The inequality that is evident in the States is, for me, it's, it's really quite frightening. And I think, you know, people in Australia tend to think that Australia and America are quite similar, but they do not have the social safety net that we have in Australia and that's, at all. And that's... It's so disheartening here watching the healthcare debate play out because all I do is kind of 
look around at my colleagues and go, you know, we don't really have this problem in Australia. <laughs> you know, this is, you know, what would fix a lot of these problems that we're having in America is if you guys had Obamacare. If you guys actually made amendments to Obamacare to make it even uh, more funded by the government, I think yeah. I think America would be a much place, a much much nicer place to live. But somehow well, the ideolo- somehow the ideology of freedom uh, trumps uh, looking after everyone. Like it's it's so bizarre. Like I I went to I remember going to CPAC in 2015, and I sat down with. Um, uh, some young Republicans. What's CPAC? CPAC is the Conservative Political Action Committee, uh, and they have a conference at the Gaylord Arena in Maryland. Uh, Did you say Gaylord? This is the Gaylord, the Gaylord Arena, the Gaylord Arena. Excellent. The Gaylord Hotel. Moving on. The Gaylord International, I believe. Osh. Uh, and they, they, um, uh, so all the all the biggest conservatives in America come and they talk to each other. It is the it is a physical and literal bubble because it, the roof is made out of glass, and so it's really fantastic. And so there's all these um, wonderful kids in chinos, red and red and white striped ties, red, blue, and white striped ties, and navy blue blazers walking around. And they are hardcore conservatives brought up by by that ideology from their parents. And I remember going to a young conservatives party where all the conservative candidates for potential candidates for president were coming into this party one or the other, waving, cheering, and all these young Republicans were getting their photos with them. And and one Republican was like, so you're from Australia? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's the deal with healthcare there? What, what What's going on there? What did, what, are they, what do they got going on there? Now, I was dressed exactly the same as them and uh, because I really wanted to fit in. And I said, yeah, you know what? It's, uh, it's just not that big a deal. It's not really that politicised. No one really thinks too much of it. And he kind of shut down and walked away. <laughs> so it was so it's so strange to kind of see like that level of dialogue. They didn't even want to hear how it could work in another place because yeah. it, was, it, it affronts their uh, their prime idea of freedom, whatever that is. Yeah, the, the the this freedom that you know, I guess you know when you got to think about it in Australia. We as a society, because, you know, we have made this decision collectively because we, we elected people that continue the system to work, we've decided that we want to live in a society where if someone can't afford to look after their health, we will all contribute into a pool that will help care for them because one day we might be them. Yeah. And as we've decided that. But in America, it's like, if you get sick, bad luck. You should have thought of that before. And, and, and yeah, and it's, you know, it's also difficult for me because, you know, I'm, I'm a person who... I have a job, and so I'm kind of looked after with my with healthcare, with the work, with the company that I work for, which is great. Um, but if I want to go and drop down to being part time at my job and go work on another show or something like that, or go freelance, um, I all of a sudden then have to stump up a huge amount of money every month. Now, I don't know what you pay for health insurance at home, but I, I'm on private health insurance at home, so I pay about um, eighteen hundred bucks a year for health insurance. Here, the cheapest rate I can actually pay as a freelancer here is about 1500 bucks a month. So I'm paying what I would normally pay in rent for health insurance as well. So it's it's extremely prohibitive. Like it's it's crazy to even think yeah. about. So that's not freedom. People, people stunt their careers and they, they stay in jobs they hate that where they have shitty bosses yeah. because they can afford to keep their kid in braces. That's right. And it's so... 
it's just it, you know it's completely disheartening you know you really if you want to go and get on you know you know you hear about the american dream you know people going on their own building their own thing that is so much more heroic now more than ever because the 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 amount you've got to pay just to keep yourself alive is extraordinary or the idea that you might get hit off your bike one day uh traveling to your your startup um is just you know it's that that could just like ruin you financially for life um so it's so it's so bizarre yeah and um and a lot of people in australia don't quite have that uh concept that and as well, when you talked, we talked about inequality a little earlier. That I think it's something like forty-five or fifty million people in America, if they had an unexpected four hundred dollar bill, couldn't find the money. And that is exactly what Dan, exactly what you're saying is like some kid needs to go to the emergency room and they need four or five stitches. That's eight hundred dollars yep. in an emergency room. Yeah, and that and, right? that's, and, and, and that's exactly what we're saying when there's two Americas, you know. Uh, and and there's a first world America and a third world America, and to f- yeah. say you can't find four hundred dollars to go to the doctor is crazy in you know in my mind. But of course, yeah. just some people just can't do that. And, a and lot then of living, people living paycheck, living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, I'm very fortunate at the moment. So uh, because I know that <laughs> I can come back to Australia if I have to. <laughs> we are so yeah. lucky. We are so Mate, lucky. The amount of people that I knew who would fly, it was cheaper to fly from L.A. back to Australia to get their fillings done, the dentistry, and then fly back to America. It was cheaper for two plane tickets and a trip to the dentist than going to a, a clinic in the States. I don't know if you've ever been to Tijuana, but, yes, they do have good surf there, but also they are renowned for their 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 dentistry. <laughs> the, the streets of Tijuana are paved with tacos and places to get your orthodontics done uh, because people just waltz across the border from California uh, into Mexico and get all of their dental stuff done in Mexico because it is, uh, you know, often a third the price. Ah, oh, let's start a dental tour. Let's start Uber for dental tourism. <laughs> yeah. There's the startup. Yes, dental tourism in Mexico is, uh, is a, it's huge, I tell you. It's huge. You mentioned uh, you mentioned a bubble before, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately. There was what? What's your thoughts about the media bubble in the states that absolutely and utterly, completely missed the fact that Trump was going to win the way he did? <sighs> uh, is it a bunch of people? Is it a bunch of people believing each other's stuff, reading each other's books, getting this false idea that they've all written for each other? So the only the only version of truth of, of reality they have is the truth they're, they're setting themselves inside this closed circle of opinion. So they go, well, of course Hillary's going to win because everyone that I've talked to thinks she's going to win. But they're not talking to anyone outside of their bubble. Uh, yeah, and this is, this, is, this is why on Facebook and Twitter I follow people who don't also share my, um, my political points of view because it's good to know what other side is thinking. And I do, I am friends with quite a few liberal activists in America. And so when I see them on Facebook posting stuff that sounds absolutely crazy about Donald Trump getting impeached, I kind of stop. I read it because, A, it's great entertainment. It's it's hilarious and it kind of, you know, uh, feeds on my schadenfreude. But also I get to stop and go, this point of view that you've just written is baseless, it's factless, it is really entertaining. <laughs> I, you know, I hope it's true, but I know it's not true. Um, and you're just feeding uh, 
you're just feeding junk. You're just feeding left fake news back to your friends and followers, and that's completely unhealthy. Uh, so it's really important. Like it's so important. Media. I hate to say this, but like media literacy is so important. It's if if you could sit down with someone and, and say, ah. Oh, Here's what here's the point of view that this publication has. Here's what here's the point of view that Uncle Joe has. Here's the point of view that uh, Auntie Doreen has. Let's analyze each of these people's points of view, break it down, and see if you can actually see where the facts lie in in all of their in all their points of view. And they'll all be different, but it's so hard now more than ever to kind of uh, have a proper read on different organizations because there's so many publications now. And so the 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 wonderful promise of the web was, you know, let a thousand flowers bloom, uh, but and you know that's well and good and fantastic, and we do have a thousand flowers blooming. Uh, but being able to understand or being able to read what the points of view of each of those flowers are is really difficult. Um, so you, I tend to now just rely on the big media organisations that I truly trust and writers and journalists whose work that I trust. So that's really important. But also when I say that, people like my mum will say, oh, you're going to the Walkleys. Is Andrew Bold up for a Walkley? He's a journalist that I read. And I'm like, this is what I'm talking about because he's not a journalist. He's a columnist. He's an opinion maker. He doesn't pick up the phone call and call anyone to find out what's going on. It's showbiz. It's showbiz. It's showbiz. No, I've met Andrew Bolt and I've worked with Andrew Bolt and he's a lovely, charming guy. Um, I'm sure he is. And so is Miranda Devine, who's a lovely, charming woman. Um, But, you know, the the stuff that they write is is just for their audience. It's just to feed... It's just to feed the the people who who lap it up, who are keen to hear that point of view um, fed to them. So how do you talk to someone like your mum about media literacy because as far as she's concerned her mate andrew bolt is telling her the truth you know what i don't i don't talk to my mum about it <laughs> nothing <laughs> oh, sh- nothing i say nothing i say to my mum my mum's not going to care you know my mum but she votes Dan. i know but she votes if i tell my mum andrew bolt's not a journalist and i sit down and i try to explain to her uh, explain to her you know the kind of stuff he writes and why he writes the kind of stuff he does and why he's got a big name next to his face at the paper uh, <laughs> i think she'll just forget about it like she 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 just doesn't care she's got a lot of other things uh, in her life that she needs to worry about she's got to look after my dad she's got to worry about the people at the church she's got to worry about my brother you know like so there's so many things going there's so many other things going on i, I don't think she cares honestly about andrew but Bolt. i think what what you're talking about though is is exactly the the issue that i think might lead to the answer to my question is that we are two people who work in the media that consume media absolutely completely differently than the vast vast amount of of voters yeah so let me tell you what happened at christmas Christmas, me and my cousin sat my uncle down. My uncle is a priest and he, uh, he's got very firm views on, on some things, including climate change. And we sat him down. I, so I just mentioned offhand, I said, hey, it's re- I really love Pope Francis because he really understands climate change. <laughs> and my uncle said, well, I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if uh, he's correct. I was like, what do you mean? It's like, well, how can we be sure it's, it's human intervention? And it's like... How, like, where are you getting your information from? Well, I've just read in the paper that, you know, that you know, climate change isn't real. I'm like, 
Right. So I sat him down. We pulled up NASA charts on my laptop. Me and my cousin sat down and kind of spoke through how climate change is working. And we might have changed one or one, one, one mind that day, maybe. But we certainly didn't change my other uncle who was sitting opposite, uh, opposite us at the table because he's a big Alan Jones listener. Uh, he was really offended when I made a joke about Alan Jones not understanding climate change as well, and he stood up and walked away. So, like, it was, it was, it's one of those things where I might have changed one uncle's mind, but I can't change all my uncle's minds. And I think one mind at a time is okay. And I think that's, uh, that's kind of where we're at now. Uh, yeah, but what? So with what you did with one uncle is, and I see so much more and more now that so many people who aren't in, like you, follow people that don't share your political point of view mm. to because you are interested in hearing what the other side is talking about. I do the same thing on my Twitter feed. I follow uh, interesting, um, uh, I- interesting right wing columnists from the states and and. Uh, what I find particularly fascinating, the right-wing talk show hosts in the States, because um, as in this country, that is where many people get their opinions from. When they talk with authority at an event like a Christmas lunch or something, <laughs> they're just repeating what they heard. Yeah. Um, because yeah, they should, you should we point out that Christmas lunches are the TED Talks of Australian families. <laughs> they fucking are. They fucking are. Um, so I, I do I do follow these people, but I have definitely found, and and... On the radio show I work on in Brisbane, uh, say, for example, the other day in Australia, there's a a young lady from Adelaide who's in a lot of trouble in Colombia for um, uh, transporting, uh, uh, trying to transport about six six kilograms of cocaine out of Colombia. Wow. All right. And we opened the phones saying, uh, should this person get, uh, she's getting help from the Department of Foreign Affairs, she's getting legal assistance money to help her out. We opened the phones. And every call that we took was like, nah, she don't, she don't deserve it. She's guilty. Yeah. She's guilty. And the moment that I said to someone, well, hang on a second, what if it was one of your friends that was in that trouble? None of my friends would be that stupid. And I, I get the feeling sometimes that by questioning someone's point of view, we are no longer able to go, that's an interesting point we instead back further into our corner and pull out even bigger weapons. We rust people's opinions on if we challenge them. And I feel that that is a a very, very dangerous place for us to be. I think that's why it's got to be done softly and slowly and, like like in the case of my uncle, uh, one individual at a time. (laughs) So... That might be hard. I think everyone needs that. He's a priest. You had a, you had, you're like, he's, he's like, oh, yeah, got to turn the other cheek. Got to see someone else's point of view. Yeah. Oh, stupid Jesus. <laughs> well, not, sometimes he doesn't do that either. But he's a, he's a smart guy, but he's, he is an incredible pessimist. So, you know, it's, um, it's one of those things where, you know, if I can change his point of view, then he might change his point of view to his parishioners or, or something like that. So it was kind of changing the, hopefully changing the point of view of an influencer. Um, uh, You know, the, um, I'll just bring up a quote that a friend of mine quoted this week. Uh, James West is a wonderful uh, reporter. He's an Australian reporter, works for Mother Jones here in the United States. He's a senior editor here. He's quite high up. He's a a bit of a superstar journalist. And um, he was talking about Mark Colvin this week. Mark Colvin, Australian journalist legend passed away yesterday it was incredibly sad friend of mine 
lovely, hilarious, wonderful mentor. Um, and he said he he had a bit of a he had a Mark Colvin had like a famous had a favorite quote from a Scottish poet called Charles Mackay from the like the mid eighteen hundreds. And he said, "Men, it has been well said, think in herds. It will be seen that they go mad in herds, while they only recover their senses slowly and one by one." And I think that's kind of interesting. And I think that is that says a lot about Mark's involvement with radio because, as you know, radio is a very intimate medium. So maybe, Osha, when you're talking to your um, listeners, that you might be changing their minds one by one as well with your point of view. So who knows what, what good went down today? You know, who knows who... I would like to, I'd like to hope so, Matt, um, Dan. And, and look, I'm, I'm sorry for your loss. Uh, that is uh, it's the unfortunate thing that we all have in common is that we will all die, yeah, and I'm, I'm I'm sorry that he passed away. I um, it was, you know, because this happened yesterday. So when this comes out, happened the day before. I followed this guy on Twitter. I only ever knew him from Twitter. I loved reading his Twitter feed. I think he used Twitter in an extraordinary way, including his very last tweet. Yeah, his last tweet was fantastic. It was something like, uh, "It's been bloody marvelous." And I think that was wonderful. Yeah, it's it's all been bloody marvelous. Hang on a sec. And it was. I was going to bring up a text message that he sent me. All right, great. So last year he was going through a bit of a, a tough stage with his um, uh, kidney stuff, and I I heard about it on the grapevine. So I sent him a, I sent him a text message. I said, "Hey, mate, I hope you're fine. I hear you're going through a bit of a wobble. I hope you're feeling good soon." He said, "Thanks, mate. Prognosis is hopeful. Uh, just a question of gritting the teeth, and I'll be back at work probably in a few weeks, maybe June, July." And I said. Great to hear. Can I have your watch? And he sent me a reply back saying, fuck off, Elitch. I'm not your real father. <laughs> I love Mark Colvin. Mark Colvin um, is hilarious. Like, uh, so generous, with, particularly with comedians. Uh, anytime I called him up to do a voice, he'd be more, more than happy to oblige. And I was doing uh, Irrational Fear, my old show, uh, for Radio National at the ABC. And I wanted, and Rob Oakshot was retiring. And I had this great idea that Mark Colvin would be covering the, the Rob Oakshot valedictory speech, but he'd been there for like three days. So I was like, oh, this is a hilarious. Oh, it'll be really quick. We'll just get Mark and record the voiceover. And I asked my engineer if he could call Mark, and Mark, Mark was away on holiday. So I had Mark's number. I called him up. I was like, oh, Mark, um, got this great idea. Can you lay down a voiceover for me? He's like, well, Dan, I'm actually on holiday in Barrel, so I can't actually, I'm not anywhere near a studio at the moment. And I said, oh, that's okay. You can just record it on your iPhone and, and send it through to me. He's like, oh, well, actually, I've never done that before. I'm going to, uh, don't know what to do. I'm like, oh, well, here's how you do it. He's like, great, I'll send it to you in five minutes. And I sent him an email with the script, and sure enough, five minutes later, uh, he'd sat in his car while on holidays and recorded the script for me. <laughs> it was sitting in my engineer's email box, <laughs> and we put together this great script. Uh, whichever if way, you've just joined us, uh, this ends up you're listening to day three of uh, Rob Oakshot's farewell speech. Uh, they talk and they He's covered much ground much in possible, 68 hours. Uh, in the his career, it his electorate, his family, kumquat marmalade, why he can't get reception uh, for SBS2, uh, but gets an inexplicably clear signal for the home uh, shopping network. And I'll be here covering this story uh, till the end. And, uh, Crook. If anyone is still listening, please send some water and some nutritious and snacks and, and tell my family uh, I love members them. And senators. I'd even thank uh, Bill Heffernan today. So he's so, such a generous guy uh, with his time and his energy and, um, and always, always there for, for young people to kind of ask questions of and, and stuff like that. So here's a really amazing 
is it a really amazing inspirational guy to kind of think of in this moment when we're dealing with all these complex problems of fake news and to kind of understand that that journalism is making a difference and good journalism can make a difference, uh, uh, but it just requires time and resources and energy to, to make that happen. You touched on media literacy. What would be your... You know, what would be your media literacy starter kit if you were going to talk to, say, for example, my 13-year-old, if you're going to talk to her about media literacy, what, what would be a, a way that you could put it to her so she knew what she was looking at? <sighs> I think it would be um, what a big sigh that was. Wasn't that a great sigh? That was a, it was a pretty good sigh. That's a, it, 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 that a great sigh that smacked of, gee, I don't have any answers. Um, <laughs> I, I thought to myself, we've done 40, I thought to myself, we've done 46 minutes. <laughs> Um, this is either going to have to move to a next question or this will take us over the hour. <laughs> well, I think like everything, Osh, everything's on a spectrum, right? So nothing's black and white. And I think it's important to paint that rainbow of where different media outlets sit on the different points of view they, they have. So if, what I would do is with, with, your, uh, with your daughter, I would sit her down and go, let me have a look at your iPhone. What media are you consuming? Let me look at your Snapchat discovery. Which one of these do you, do you follow? Who are your favorite? Where do you get your information from? And then I would help her plot out where they might stand politically so that when, or, or their point of view on a, on a spectrum from left to right, from, uh, from I guess, uh, incredible to not credible and trying to fill that fill that matrix out and plot them where they might be so when she does get a, a tweet from x person or she does see um uh, someone instagram something about this issue she can then kind of plot it and choose for herself what that might mean there's a great difference between information and understanding and so we can have all the information in the world, but we may not have the resources to understand what's happening. So, you know, it's just like it's, this, it's the same as being able to recite off the top of your head uh, 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 a story that you know uh, versus printing it out and, and having it in your pocket. You know, you do have the information, but you just don't have the understanding of where it sits. So I think, that, I think that's kind of what I would do. Uh, on a on a grander scheme, like kind of give people the tools to be able to decide for themselves what message that they are being fed and how it fits into the scheme of things. Giving people the ability to put the messages into context. Is it also important though to find out where you listen from on that spectrum? I think so too. That's a that's a really good point of view. And one of the things I did this great project last year during the Australian election where I hitchhiked from Hobart to far north Queensland. And I, I did that in order so I, to talk to, to get out of my own media bubble, to speak to regular Australians. Uh, the first person I interviewed was a white supremacist from Launceston. The last person, <laughs> the, the last six people I met in, uh, in far north Queensland were, uh, were Pauline Hanson supporters. And, and or people who didn't know who to vote for, so they were thinking about voting for Pauline Hanson. And it was one of those things where one lady was like, oh, they're just as bad as the lot, you know, you know, one, you know, I vote, I vote for one, you know, they do the same thing. They're all the same bloody politicians, so I'll probably vote for Pauline Hanson. She's different. And I said, whoa, 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 from what you've just told me, that she probably does not suit the kind of person you are and the kind of values that you hold. This lady is an extraordinary woman. She picks up hitchhikers for one. She, uh, she has... 
she's a big couch surfer fan. So at the moment at her house, she has like four different nationalities of people sleeping on her property. Uh, and she looks after dogs and she lives on a salt marsh. And so it was this one, one of these things where I had to kind of sit her down and we spent 20 minutes of that car ride doing ABC's Vote Compass yeah. on, my, on my phone uh, which is a great application that, that the ABC run during the election, which asks people a, a lot of questions about their own personal values and then kind of puts you on the spectrum of where you might sit politically. And she was so close to Labor and a little bit to the, to the Greens and so far away from Pauline Hanson that she might have changed her vote that day. But I wasn't there to tell her who to vote for. I was just saying, you know, here's, here are the parties that align with your values. You should think about this just a little bit because it's important. And I think that's probably what we're seeing in Australia right now. We see the rise of Pauline Hanson, the rise of um, kind of uh, uh, people pissed off with, with the status quo and with good reason. And so they are just going for the thing that um, is not that, and that is Pauline Hanson. I would say it's, but for me, it's always really important to understand where you're listening from. I did the same. I did the vote compass uh, thing on the ABC as well, which was a, uh, a very, very interesting online tool. Basically, you just uh, answered some questions about which policy was closer to how you felt and, and where you lived and, and la, la, la. And I did it um, six weeks out from the election and I did it right before the election. And six weeks out from the election, I was a little uh, a little closer to Labor than I ever thought I would actually be and further away and more to the centre of the Greens than I thought I would be. And um, six weeks later, right the day before the election... I was actually, um, I, I actually moved even closer. Really, and wow. I was, I was further, I was, I was more liberal than the Labor people was. So I was more financially conservative than Labor was, but I was more. It, it was weird how much, how much I changed. But it's, if it was really important for me to understand where I heard mm. certain news stories from, like the moment they say. A Middle Eastern man has been, before they've even said what has happened, I have gone, fuck you for othering someone, fuck you for, you know, blaming another country, you anti-refugee, compassionless fucks. He might have done something really horrible. <laughs> he might have done something awful, mm. but I have already judged yeah. Tracy Grimshaw in my head. Yeah. All right? And, and, and that's really important. It was really important for me to discover that I do that, yeah. that... Just by the very way the news is told to me, from where I hear, I'm not hearing the point of the story. And uh, I've had to then sometimes read things twice, sometimes listen to things twice. And it, the trick is, though, because I'm now on live radio, I've had to learn to not be so reactive, Dan. And this is the tricky part <laughs> because uh, remember how before I, I, I have, you know how before that uh, you're – your mate in the red and white, red and blue tie and the and the blue blazer and the nice chinos just turned around because you just didn't want to talk. That's dead air in radio. But I can't do that. Mm. So I've got to talk. But what I had been doing was I was reacting like certainly when someone would call up and go, and this this is what it happened. A woman called and go, I, I went out, I went on a date with a guy and he was black as the ace of spades. He never told me he would be, and I never knew that he was. I never knew they were even letting them into the country. And he, I, I, I said, um. Uh, I'm sorry, he's a... What? She goes, yeah, he was a Somali. I didn't think they were allowed in because they're Muslims. She said something like that. And I I ended up yelling at her. And all it sounded like was that I was just being a fucking bully. Yeah. 
you know, I mean, I, I and from the trick is for, for me as someone who works in the media and someone who can have had a hair trigger, how do I stifle my own inbuilt reactive nature to want to lash out and then try and talk to this woman as you had 20 minutes to speak to in the cab of that car to just go, well, um, we don't know what he's been fleeing. We don't know what he's seen. He's a human. He needs love. He'd like to date people too. This is is so true. And also I have complete empathy for that woman because she might not be the smartest person in the world and might not have had the exposure to other cultures than the white people down at her local McDonald's. So this is something where um, this this kind of speaks to a lot of things we've been talking about um, in this podcast. I'm fortunate in that um, I work with loads of people of colour and loads of people of different genders and uh, and I've travelled the world extensively. So I kind of have a different point of view than someone who hasn't left Australia their entire lives. And it, it kind of struck me Osh, on my trip from Hobart to Ely Beach during the election, hitchhiking through Australia, the, only, the people that picked me up, the commonality, common denominator between all of them was that they had a cracked windscreen, that they were quite more more often than not um, poor, poor people. And that was really interesting to me. They are really generous, loving people who pick a stranger up on the street and take them for a ride. They don't know that I'm Muslim. No, I'm not Muslim, but they don't don't know that I could could be Muslim or anything like that. But because I don't, because I have the... you know, immense privilege of being, you know, a white male, I'm generally in their eyes deemed to be safe. But they don't know anything about my background and I could be all the things that they hate, but they just don't know that yet. Um, so they do take that gamble. But um, at, the same, at the same time, I asked a lot of people about travelling. You know, I said, so have you been out of the country? You know, where have you, have you, you know, you should go, you should go to some of these places you might hear about in the news. You know, they're actually pretty great places. So if you, uh, you know, I've, I've kind of rattled off a couple of places I've been and they're like, nah, nah, nah. You know, one of the, one of the, someone said to me once, uh, a truck driver said to me once, nah, Dan, I haven't finished seeing Australia yet. I'm like, yeah. And I think a lot of that is code for no, Dan, I work so fucking hard just to put food in my mouth. There is no possible way I can financially escape to go see another part of the world. So the people that are calling up your radio program uh, and have that point of view, they, have, they may have that point of view for a reason that, that you can't see over radio. Um, and the reason why they might be listening to radio is because uh, it's the most accessible medium possible. Um, so it's one of those things where I've, I've kind of learnt to kind of have some empathy for people who talk like that because I've, I've seen it and I've recognised the luck in my own life that I, I have had to be able to kind of travel the world like I do and kind of see things from a different perspective. So I think it's up to us to change minds one by one. And I think, <laughs> and so, you know, hopefully in the, you know, when I'm, when I do my thing in my car or in, in people's cars or when I'm kind of having uh, conversations with people, I might be able to do that. But uh, who knows? It's so, it, it's, it's all hard. 
But that's what I think. But I think. But what what you've just what you've just said has gone a long way to helping me find the place of where I can react with compassion, but also react in a place that makes good radio. If I could look, I think right now would be a great time to put in a soundbite from my show Twitch hike. <laughs> this conversation is an interesting conversation I had with um, the first guy that picked me up in Launceston. And I, I had a chat with him. He was this kind of big, burly, white supremacist guy who was telling me about how much he hated Muslims. But then he went on, on one hand, went on to say, oh, but I know Muslims. I've got one who I consider a very, very dear friend. She's not a hardcore, not a hardcore Muslim, you know. She's very, uh, you know, she believes in her faith. But same again, you could walk past her and you wouldn't know she's a Muslim, you know. Just a, a nice person, really good heart. Um, and I guess, you know, I won't say every Muslim's a bad Muslim. I'm sure there's lots of good ones out there. I know one myself that I'm very, very fond of. But, you know, the ones that are coming over here and you see on the streets of Sydney and stuff like that, um, in some of the little suburbs, the way they're pushing their views. Um, yeah, I don't think we want that here. So it's kind of extraordinary that even they do have examples of other people in their lives that they are still using um, whatever comes off Pauline Hanson's Facebook page as an excuse for hatred. And let's not kid ourselves here. Their main source of news is Pauline Hanson's Facebook page. She's much more powerful than Pedestrian or Junkie or any, or any other media outlet we have today. She's much more adept at using social media than anyone else in, in, in our politics and because she has to be, because she has to be lean, and the tools of the tools of being a lean broadcaster or a lean communicator are accessible to everyone, and they're not exactly the same tools that um, that the major party use, use because they feel like they need to use broadcast as their major vehicle. So, you know, Pauline Hanson is extraordinarily powerful, not as a polit- not just as a politician, but as a media outlet herself. Dan, I could really talk to you all day in your beautiful bathrobe there in your uh, Vancouver <laughs> hotel room. I'm only wearing this because I'm actually staying at a at an Aboriginal Canadian Canadian hotel, Canadian Aboriginal hotel owned by Aboriginal people in Canada, and um, downstairs they had this framed with a sign saying this 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 bathrobe was voted the best bathrobe in the world. So I thought, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna sit down, have a conversation, and be really comfortable while I do it. I'll I'll, I'll definitely do that. Well, I certainly hope that you get your next uh, American journalist visa uh, fantastically with the best bathrobe in the world. I can't thank you enough for this conversation, Dan. It's always good to talk to you. I can't wait for the next. That's one. a great idea. I should turn up to the interview in the bathrobe. You can't deny me that. Let me in. Don't you want the best bathrobe in the world in America? You know you do. <laughs> uh, hey, it's been really lovely to not only speak to you. I'm a big fan of the podcast. I listen all the time. Thanks, man. I love man. sending podsies wherever I am around the world. I love it too, man. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're a champ. Pleasure. And that was Dan Illick. You can find him on Twitter at D-A-N-I-L-I-C. Follow him because he is a very smart, very funny man and his Twitter feed is is well worth checking out. A big thank you to you if you supported the show on Patreon. If the show has meant something to you, if you feel there's value for you in this show, I'd really appreciate it if you could uh, throw the bucks our way. It helps us make the show each and every week. Without Patreon support, this show does not exist. So... For the last year or so, this show has been made 100% with the proceeds of the Patreon, and thank you so much for that. I have to go. Um, This week has 
bit of a quieter week for me, so uh, I'll try to get back to a lot of emails. People do write me. I do read all of them. Send Osher email at gmail.com. I can't write back to every one of them, but I do read a lot of them. Send Osher email at gmail.com. And uh, thanks again for all the podsy photographs that people have been sending through. They're just fantastic. Until we speak next week, enjoy watching the news. Um, I hope you look at it with a slightly different view after listening to Dan. And uh, until we speak next time, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.